Mr. Jeff Rubin, thank you so much for doing this with me. My pleasure. I'd like to know a little bit about this letter that these millionaires and billionaires have sent to the World Economic Forum. What, what exactly is in it? Well, the backdrop to it is the fact that um, 2,000 billionaires have more wealth than 60% of the planet's population. And I guess today and many others, that seems obscene. Now, historically, that kind of maldistribution of income and concentration of wealth have proved to be unsustainable because they ultimately have led to social and political upheaval in the past. And I, I suppose the recent rise in populism seems, suggests it seems to be doing that again. And not only has there been an unprecedented concentration of wealth, but that governments around the world have been basically powerless to do anything about it. In fact, they've made things worse because the very wealthy on an after-tax basis have done relative to the rest of the population even better than on a pre-tax basis. Now, if, if viewers are wondering, well, well, how can that be? Because we have a progressive tax structure where you pay a greater percentage of your income in taxes the higher your income is. That applies to wage income. But the world's wealthiest don't rely on wages. They rely on investment income. And things like capital gains are taxed at half the rate that uh, high-income earners have to pay. And then, of course, many of the world's wealthiest just just uh, squirrel their money away in tax havens around the world. For example, Revenue Canada estimates that wealthy Canadians are dodging as much as $3 billion of tax on investment income every year from the some $240 billion of their wealth that's held in offshore accounts. When the super-rich don't pay their taxes, it creates, you know, a fiscal gap. And guess who pays to close that fiscal gap? You do. Now, we've heard stories in the past. Uh, every January 1st, there's an article somewhere that says that the world's CEOs have earned more by lunchtime than the average worker will in an entire year. How did we get to this state of inequality? And not only the CEOs, the, the fact that, that companies like Apple and Facebook and Google are notorious for booking global revenues in low-tax or no-tax jurisdictions and, and get away with paying very little tax on the billions of uh, revenue that they generate. How did we get there? Well, that's a, that's a big question. That's part of globalization. But for most people in our society... Globalization has been a race to the bottom. Uh, you know, anytime that you bring up things like what Senator Warren or Senator Sanders are suggesting in the U.S., which is a doubling of the inheritance tax or a um, uh, an imposition of a wealth tax, uh, you know, the immediate response is, well, capital's too mobile uh, and capital will simply leave. And and certainly, capital is a lot more mobile than it was 20 or 30 years ago. And when it's mobile, it's hard to regulate. So the biggest beneficiaries of this global open economy have been the world's wealthiest. And that's as true in Canada as it is anywhere else. Well, if these millionaires and billionaires are concerned about uh, you know, paying more taxes and so on, why don't they just sort of donate a large portion well, of their money to... Well, I think, I think these, these, these people who are writing this letter represent a very small subset 
of the income group that they represent. I'm sure that if you were to ask Tim Cook of Apple or Mark Zuckerman of Facebook or Jeff Bezos what they think of these proposals, they wouldn't think very highly of them. For example, Senator Warren's proposal to impose a wealth tax on high-income Americans would have people like Jeff Bezos, uh, the owner of Amazon and reportedly richest man in the world, pay some $4 billion more in income tax. Most people don't want to do that. But I think what what the people who have written this letter are, are worried about and the reference to Pitchfork is that they're losing popular support and that the middle class is now open to hearing other voices, whether from the left or from the right, populist voices that are proposing things that would be very injurious to billionaires around the world. Well, indeed, the OECD put out a report last year saying that the middle class is being squeezed. But are are there any signs that we're at a tipping point in terms of well, social unrest? Yeah, I think, yeah, I mean, a, a survey just came out and also sort of targeted to this Davos conference showing that in 28 liberal democracies, the majority of people no longer believe that global capitalism is working for them. And that, you know, ultimately will take a political expression, whether it takes the expression of so, sort of the Boris Johnson, Brexit, right-wing European populism, or the left-wing populism of Sanders, or, um, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see that, that, that all of a sudden things that were considered to be, you know, not credible are suddenly credible. Now, it's interesting that we haven't had this debate in Canada because the distribution of income in Canada has been as skewed as anywhere else. Um, in fact, the 80% of Canadian households have seen no real income gains after tax for the last two decades. And while successive conservative and liberal governments have both professed to represent the interests of the middle class, that's been something they do in rhetoric, but not really in real tax policy. Well, Mr. Rubin, you are the author of The Expendables, How the Middle Class Got Screwed by Globalization. Does this fit into that somehow? And what did you it mean? It fits exactly into that because it, it talks about basically how governments seem to be powerless to do anything uh, in a global sort of economic order, which for most households, not the wealthiest, but for most households, has been a race to the bottom. And the middle class has been the bedrock of support for a liberal democracy. But that, you know, that can no longer be taken for granted because the middle class has been impoverished, the middle class has been left behind, and it's now open to hearing other voices and perhaps looking at other political models. What do you think will come of this? You've you've said that this is a small representative group, but not. I mean, there are lots more that just don't want to be hearing about this. So, so what do you think is going to oh, come right. of this? Well, it's not this small representative group, but rather the conditions that they're addressing that's going to lead to change. Any time we've seen such a maldistribution of income and concentration of wealth, those circumstances have proved to be unsustainable because they've always provoked social and political change. And I suspect today won't be any different. Jeff Rubin, thank you so much for your time today.
My pleasure. Take care.